All Nighter podcast, where we talk about architectural education and practice. The show is hosted by me, Jarrett Hardy, and my two friends, Jordan Vonderbrink and Aaron Mahalacek. We hope to inspire and guide future and current architecture students and young professionals. So we're back for part two of this short series with Dr. Kapila Silva. Um, and in our previous discussion, which would have been episode six, uh, we talk about his views on architectural education, his teaching style, um, and also uh, how he grew up and what schools he's attended um, and also taught at. And it's all been amazing experience that have made him into the professor that he is today. Um, and he's really helped a lot of students achieve different goals, get into different firms or different parts of the industry. Um, and so we're really thankful to have him up on the show. And so in continuation of our conversation, um, we were talking about his teaching style. And so two questions that we wanted to touch on was uh, he, I mean, when I had Kapila or when I, when I spoke with him and you guys as students, um, it was a lot of digital things that happened. Um, and he had us build models uh, and, but there was never, a lot of times it wasn't final, final models like we did in other studios. And so I want to touch on that, Kapila. What is your take on digital versus hands-on um, and what you see, what importance you see in each one and also workload and how that might attest to that? Well, I think uh, <clears throat> the uh, both um, hand-on work as well as digital work are important in, in architecture. Um, the The... The way that I think that the the kind of initial light, the the in throughout the entire design process, even in the construction and whatnot, that um, the the ability to uh, to draw quickly and 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 uh, build thing, uh, uh, build small models and things like that, uh, is an important thing. Uh, whether you are a student, uh, you are a practicing architect or or not. Uh, that those are those are two ways we explore the ideas for architecture, and then and then the 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 digital tools are again the the same kind of uh, uh, tool set just digital to explore the same kind of thing. So so I would suggest learning the skills in both and 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 uh, mixing them both together when you uh, uh, when you uh, Create architecture and practice architecture. I mean, I I have experiences in uh, at sites where uh, some situation uh, uh, construction situation would pop up at the site when we are doing the site visit. We are discussing with the uh, the uh, the, uh, the people are working in the site and the contractors and other engineers and etc. And then we will write on the. Uh, then and there, we will start sketching and discussing things. So that, that that's not a moment to to use any digital uh, tools sitting down, but we will right away draw things on sketch pads and try to resolve and explain it to a carpenter or a mason or a, uh, um, a steel worker or whatnot, you know. And um, so I have had in my practice many uh, situations like that uh, that would happen right on the site. And sometimes, uh, sometimes we will um, we will uh, grab a couple of bricks and start uh, uh, stacking them to explain certain concepts uh, and discuss. Okay, what what if we put the brick this way on? What will what if we pro, uh, put this steel beam on this way on on this column or on this beam, right? So so that is that is an that's an aspect of architecture that kind of hands-on thing. It it never ends. Uh, so it's it, it's not something uh, front end thing. It's also back end things. Uh, however, in the studios, I encourage uh, students to um, kind of develop their ideas first by uh, uh, drawing by hand through uh, sketches and smaller mass and models and things like that. And then at some point, when the design is kind of developed to some some extent, the design ideas. Then to go into the digital tools, so you can you can create in an in a more accurate way to a certain scale. You know the exact dimensions and things like that. You can now put it into a, some kind of rule system that eventually you will need to have uh, if you are going to uh, construct this building. All right. Um, 
Now, in my, because I'm teaching mostly third year and fourth year studios, uh, I have removed uh, the the requirement for the for having a final a physical model. Uh, the reason why I why I have done that is that I think that uh, most students that I come across at that time uh, have not really developed a certain kind of a taste and the skill uh, to to create um, um, really clear clear really vivid. Um, uh, representations of their ideas. So I want to. I want. So I decided that I want to spend more time on helping students understand how to represent their work, how to represent your your plans, your conceptual ideas, your sections, elevations, your renderings. What is good? What is bad? Um, although I don't teach any digital software, I have an understanding of what software can be used. To fix what problem, so to sort of kind of give them that that understanding. Why don't you think about this way? Maybe, like for example, even I would say that when students generate their perspective views out of their uh, their digital models, they sometimes don't really think about what they are looking at, what they need to show, right? Mm -hmm. And what are the ways that you can show your project in an interesting way? How how are you going to write, really price out some of the hidden qualities of your project? Where to put the camera to get that right? So so uh, those who I mean you guys took studios with me, so you know that I sit down in one day and I ask you to bring so many different perspectives, and then we move the camera here and there to uh, to figure it out. What are the best views to to present your work, right? Mm -hmm. and, and and those views are also based on that soul of the building that I talked about. Again, mm -hmm. the soul of the building is not only the design, but it's also guide uh, guides your, your your representation. What are the perspectives that that would show right away to to a, a outside reviewer the kind of soul embedded in this project? So 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 I think that that aspect is important that learning is important you can't give students like 3 days to prepare for the final review or the drawings um that is not the way to teach students to have a really high quality project so I want to spend more time on that visual representation uh rather than spending some time on the the physical model so I I assume that uh, when students are in their first year and second year, they have done this enough thoroughly, uh, so that skill set is there. Uh, but I'm going to focus more on the kind of digital representation. But it's not only digital representation. The, I remember that I had a student, uh, exchange student from Germany, taking my studio several years ago. She had an incredible uh, uh, drawing skill, drawing by hand. So when I saw that, I sh I told her that maybe you shouldn't be doing your final representation using the computer. Maybe you should draw it. So she actually did it, and then she used her hand-drawn drawings, uh, perspectives, and photoshopped them a little bit, so create some kind of hybrid work and, and develop some excellent work. And she actually won uh, a competition entry, um, uh, the student competition, uh, held by the Society of Architectural uh, Illust uh, Illustrators uh, in the USA uh, for wow. for one of the drawings that she created in that way. So 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 uh, whether it is digital or, or by hand, um, I want to focus more on developing that set of skills and the taste mm -hmm. uh, about how to do real high quality visual representation in my studios. Was that the honeycomb project, Kapila? That's right. Yeah. I remember that. That was yeah. that was beautiful. But that just that just speaks to I I think it's important. I just want to touch on like being online and being on your computer and producing good drawings or like not even good, better than good to put in your portfolio and to represent because sometimes like you said with models, we don't have time to focus on everything at once. Like we have to just get what we can get out for the final and that's that. But in your studio, I really like that approach to where you are focused on the renderings or on the drawings, on the elevations, and really honing those in. Um, because mm -hmm. in the end, when you get into practice, sure, you can build models and all that. But in the end, you have to produce drawings to get something built. Um, yeah. So I think that's a really important aspect. I don't know what else you guys want to mm -hmm. say about that. 
Well, yeah, just well, to kind I of think, oh, go ahead, Jordan. With both Aaron and I, I think obviously our final projects when we had Capila, our presentation, I mean, that was by far the best graphically or any of our presentations have ever looked. And that's, you know, thanks to um, us having a month to do it, we've never, I've never had that much time to do a, a board. I think, I think the semester before, I had. I'd somehow gotten two weeks to do it, and I was so happy about that. But it still, <laughs> my board wasn't wasn't that good. Um, so getting that time, and then also, you know, thinking about and developing that, like you said, that taste for the uh, for good drawings and elevations and renderings, and that that helps so much. And um, my level of understanding of that just improved so much throughout that semester. Yeah. I think another thing, and maybe this is, is only a small part, but physical models specifically, at least in my own experience, they're, they're, people don't really tend to build those in firms much anymore. And when they do, it's generally a very quick conceptual model, and half the time they're 3D printed. Exactly. So, mm -hmm. um, I think physical models have an ability to teach you how things are put together in a way that maybe um, just drawing and working on the computer can't. But yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's better. I feel like as you talked about Capila, you kind of get a little bit of that experience in your first two years typically. And then from there on, it's more important to, to start to focus on the kinds of skill sets that you'll actually need once you get into practice yeah um, yeah as you as you move up uh, in higher level studios there are a lot of other things to focus on uh like really working on your tectonics and construction aspects and things like that so mm -hmm. so you need to leave time for those also so something has to give away to have time to do other things in the studio so so in my way of thinking, okay, I'm going to give up on the physical model, final physical model. <laughs> so we have time for other things. Yeah, but I also think that those early conceptual models, because you mentioned that you had us um, make early conceptual models in the studio. And I think that that is also very important because similar to sketching, when you've got something physical in your hand and you can move it around and look at it at different angles, it really lets you come up with a bunch of new ideas quickly that you can't do on a computer. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, utilizing both sketching and physical models early on in the, in the design phase is really important. But I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you just have to keep in mind, all of these are simply tools to achieve a specific end result. Mm -hmm. So you just got to pick the right tool to get to, to achieve what you're trying to. That's true. And then Kapila, with, with these studios, how are you dictating uh, what sites you pick and what the projects may be? Obviously, KU um, and CU Denver, they all have a main curriculum that they need to be teaching. Um, but how do you as a professor dictate what your, where your students are going to pick a site or what they're going to look at um, and what kind of project it's going to be? Uh, well, um, the sometimes uh, this kind of site determines the project and other times the project uh, determines the site but i would say that uh, there are kind of three things that that uh, come to define the selection of the project or the site um, one is definitely the curriculum uh, the uh, the the curriculum basically guides us at that particular academic level uh, for certain students. Um, we have certain learning objectives uh, uh, described. Now, actually, in our department, we have a, a, a kind of uh, set of guidelines for each studio developed. Uh, for example, what type of uh, a uh, location, whether it should be an urban or a rural lo location. Um, uh, whether it should be a multi-story building, what's the kind of square footage of the building should be, and the kind of type of the project, whether it is a residential, cultural institution, or something like that. So there are there are obviously the the curriculum uh, guidelines uh, available to us when we are teaching a, uh, a particular academic level uh, studio. 
Um, and then, and then uh, it comes to, in some ways, the kind of personal uh, expertise and biases and 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 and, and uh, preferences uh, of the professor. Uh, at least for me, uh, as I said, that I I uh, I am interested in exploring um, the cultural aspect dimensions of architecture, and uh, and um, my master's thesis was a museum project, so I'm I'm I'm, I'm knowledgeable about museum. <laughs> um, so because of that, uh, I, I I I in this third year studio that I do, I I give the museum as a project, and uh, so when I give a museum as a project, then it determines uh, the kind of site where the museum uh, should be located, right? Um, and then and then another aspect I I think about when I'm thinking of a project and a site is also that this project at the end should be a portfolio worthy project. Mm. That that this project should uh, have an intriguing design problem uh, that when the student, so that means the student can be deep thinkers about architecture and they could have a unique project and that that project when when it is in their portfolio, it becomes a a topic of conversation, and that will bring up the students' thinking abilities, and it will display and demonstrate how the students think about the project. And then also, I'm th- I usually think about uh, when I when I when I say a portfolio worthy project, that the the project should allow the exploration of exceptional forms mm. uh, for the project. Uh, uh, for that particular design problem, um, so that that exploring and kind uh, of exceptional formal approaches uh, would also help students to think about different materiality, different construction uh, systems, structural concepts, and things like that. And then. I would also like to see a locational diversity in their portfolios. The the portfolio shouldn't be uh, of full of projects. They were only in Kansas City or Lawrence. Mm. Mm-hmm. They should be they should be having project design all over the world to show that their understanding of the kind of global architectural scenario and the global context, how they thought about different uh, different physical and cultural context uh, through their uh, th- through their projects, so 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 th- th- those three things are important for me when I think about uh, giving student a, a, a project. Uh, so uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, before uh, uh, the third year studio, uh, uh, when when I was when I started teaching this third year studio uh, in two thousand eight, the first time. Um, I uh, I didn't give a museum, but but I gave uh, students an an extension to uh, Lawrence Art uh, Center, uh, and 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 then I also gave a project uh, a live work artist res- residence um, uh, in the same site. Uh, so again, think it's again thinking about the can, that cultural aspect of it, kind of artistic at, aspect of it. And that is how eventually I realized that, well, I shouldn't be doing it only on, in, in Lawrence. Are there any other interesting uh, urban context that, that we could do a project at? And then I was then I thought about, okay, Dallas Art District, uh, I visited all these places. So I thought that this this gives a uh, really good opportunity for students to, uh, to, to work on a project, you know. Uh, um, then, um, for example, when I gave... Uh, the Heritage Center for my uh, fourth-year students uh, last um, last spring semester. It's again I was thinking about a, a intriguing design problem in, in in the sense how would you design a, a brand new building in an incredibly historical context? Mm. How do you how do you how do you re- respond to that culture as well as that historical context? So that's the kind of intri- intriguing problem. So and and I knew that. Because you are you are you are trying to have a a dialogue with the historical context, it will allow you to explore different formal approaches to the project. So, in order to create that locational diversity, I gave uh, students uh, three World Heritage sites: um, uh, Quebec City in, in Quebec, Canada; 
and then um, uh, uh, Copenhagen in, in Denmark, and then Kyoto in, in Japan. So three different uh, places. So another interesting aspect of, of that, that kind of giving students different uh, sites uh, for the same project is now students can pick a, a site that they really want to work on and explore. So, so if you have uh, 16 students uh, in the studio, the students will be working on three different, four different sites and creating completely different way of thinking about the design problem and that and and how to respond to that context. So there's a there's an incredible variety coming out of of the project, and 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 so the all the students can learn how to approach the say a different uh, cultural and physical context in different ways. And on top of that, each individual project is a challenge for me. I have to think about each different site and in each different way the student mm -hmm. addressing the site, right? Uh, so it's a, it, it becomes a very interesting uh, learning experience uh, uh, for, for me. Um, so that that's how I pick sites and projects. Um, sometimes we get requests from outside. For example, the uh, the airport project that I did uh, 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 spring 2019 uh, was a request coming from uh, the aviation studio in Kogan um, um, architectural firm in Dallas, Texas. Uh, so they were saying that they would like to uh, work on a project like that. Would you wanna? Uh, do it as a studio project, so they participated in the in the in the design process uh, as reviewers, uh, and they actually gave the project also. They created the program and everything. They even created this uh, the kind of three different sites for the project. Wow. So um, and then um, sometime back, uh, uh, I had a request from a uh, a hospital in in Lake in Kansas. This is all the way in the west of Kansas. Uh, that they want to uh, design a daycare center in the hospital uh, for the staff as well as for, for for the residents in that in that community. So so sometimes you get the um, the request from outside, and if it fits uh, that particular studio level and the and the learning objectives, uh, then I usually explore those projects also. Sometimes various social issues. Give me ideas about the projects and the mm. sites. Uh, for example, uh, when the President Obama was in his uh, 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 the second term, so I knew that he would uh, have to build a presidential library and a museum. So I was, I was thinking about okay, what what could well, maybe we should explore this as a studio project, uh, Obama presidential library and museum. So I gave two sites, one in Chicago and one in, one in uh, in uh, in Hawaii. Um, for students to explore um, the uh, KU uh, KU Welcome Center <laughs> uh, was another project that I I gave students some time back. Uh, what happened was I was walking uh, on Jehok Boulevard on one of those Saturdays, and somebody drove and stopped and asked me, oh, "Where is the KU Welcome Center?" I said, "Really, there's a KU Welcome Center? I have no idea." Where <laughs> <laughs> then they showed me some kind of map. Then I, then I, I realized where it is located. But then that, that gave me the, the thinking that, okay, so the KU doesn't have an, some kind of an iconic visitor center. So we need to, we need to locate something in a good location. So, so, so that is how that project was created. So mm. these kind of scenarios give you, give, you, give you thoughts about project. Another project that I have been thinking that I wanted to give students is this has I have been thinking about it three to four years. Um, I call it a monument depot. Hmm. All the Confederate monuments that we argue that they should be removed from whatever their locations, where should they go? Okay. So, so I am assuming they could go into a museum where they would be properly contextualized and interpreted and represented. And I would not call it a museum. I would call it a monument depot. Uh, so, so again, uh, related to uh, related to um, the kind of socio-cultural issues happening in the country, I would also give you ideas about project. Another project that I was reading an article about uh, uh, what's uh, 
what happened after uh, 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 George Floyd was uh, was 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 killed, and there were a lot of kind of temporary art displayed in the in the location uh, with the uh, Black Lives Matter uh, movement and protesting what happened to him and commemorating him. And then the question was, where where should what should happen to these temporary arts? So then I'm thinking, well, th- that also could be a museum, right? Mm-hmm. It could be more like a protest art museum, a museum where all this art generated or art art arts come out of protest uh, could go uh, to discuss about these pro- pro- to not only to protect those arts also, but but to dis- discuss about those social social cultural or political issues in the country. So actually, I uh, I uh, suggested to my uh, fall students here are two project ideas for your museum. Uh, if you guys want to pick it up, pick it up. So two students pick those two ideas. So that's how the ideas for the projects are created. Gotcha. gotcha. Where did you get the the um, idea? Because well, our fourth year this upcoming springs the train station. Mm-hmm. Project, yeah. where'd you get that idea? It's the uh, uh, the uh, trying to design a, a subway system for Kansas City. Mm-hmm. So, uh, from my study abroad experience in in Japan and in Singapore, and from my other travels in in Europe, uh, I was always fascinated about the subway systems, and 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 my experience with subway system in New York and comparing that with uh, with subway system in Singapore, I'm thinking this is really bad. This is badly designed. Uh, the subway system could be designed in, a, in an incredible manner to create a highly kind of uh, high quality uh, mass transit system which is very sustainable uh, uh, and that could basically kind of uh, view the entire entire city together. So when I think about uh, Kansas City, it doesn't have a, that kind of a public, trans, uh, a public mass transit uh, kind of system. Uh, there are certain areas that are not really very well connected to the city, uh, the city centers, or there are certain communities they don't have um, proper transit system to go to jobs or go to whatever their amenities and necessities. So, so it seems like to me that Kansas City could benefit from a very good uh, a, a, a mass transit system like a subway system. So that's why I thought that why don't we design a project? Why don't we study Kansas City? Study how various uh, communities could be connected to, in different ways, and to the to the downtown also, and various kind of kind of activity nodes in Kansas City that are very uh, dispersed, and then students can pick up uh, multiple sites of those, and then they can design buildings. So each building would be very different because of that. Yeah. Well, so to go back, you mentioned your study abroad. Um... I was fortunate enough uh, to participate in one of those study abroads, uh, study abroad studies. That's redundant. Anyway, <laughs> um, this this past winter, um, I guess. Well, first of all, we were really lucky with the timing because yes, uh, <laughs> we were over there. We just Asia. got back, and then, like in four four days, we heard about something called coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. So. The timing of it all was very lucky, but the the experience that I had, I think, most in Singapore with the transit system that they have there, it really is remarkable. Um, you know, here I am, somebody who's hardly traveled, uh, you know, more than 500 miles away from my, my hometown, now halfway around the world in a country I've never been to. Uh, totally unfamiliar and within I would say a day or two of having you know explored that city I felt completely comfortable on my own going anywhere in Singapore Um, and I think that that speaks to just how incredible their transit system is it's so easy to use it's so quick Uh, you can get anywhere you want even if um, you know even if uh, you don't speak Malay, which I think is the 
they, they speak English in Singapore a lot too. Um, so those, those are the two big languages, I think. But anyway, the point is having that, that system there meant that the city was very well connected and it also meant that there was very, very little traffic. You know, you, here you are in a city of, what is it, like 7 million people, I think? Something three to 4 million. Okay. I could think I was thinking of um, the number of tourists that they get per year. Oh, but... yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, it's, it's a large city, um, but there's no traffic. And that's, that's because their transit system is so efficient. Um, there are other reasons as well, but a huge part of it is because their transit system is so efficient. And, and it's very comfortable sense. also. Yes, yes. Uh, it's quiet. There's enough space. So, yeah, it's it's an exciting project. Yeah. No, that's super cool. And I think it's good for us to look inside of your mind and see how you start to pick these projects and that it's not so rule-based, but it's more of, for you and your circumstances, it's experience and where have you been and what problems do you see even currently in the world. Um, and, I, and so I guess a question for you, Kapila, would be, let's say you're in a situation in your master's or even bachelor's program and you have a set, you have a different studio where they want to do the same city site. Are you, what would your recommendation be for a student, like going to your professor and saying like, can I have a different site instead of the one that you picked for the whole class? Like, is that something that we should be kind of willing to do or professors should be open to? Yes, uh, yes. Uh, I, I personally think students uh, should be uh, uh, willing to uh, explore that, and and the professor professors should be uh, flexible on that. Also, I'll give you an example. Um, so several years ago, um, uh, one of my uh, students in that third year studio. Uh, so the project was actually at that time the project that was the first time I gave the subculture museum project as the kind of theme for the museum uh, to design in Dallas. So this student, uh, he's, a, uh, he's a gay student, and he said that he wants to design a pride museum. Uh, so to, to talk about the LGBT community uh, and their struggle and, 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 and uh, their survival, their, 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 their uh, achievements, and etc. Was this then Seiko? He, yes. 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 <laughs> so he told me that, that the sites that I have given are not the best sites uh, for that project. I said, well, okay, so do you have a site in mind? He said, yes, the the annual gay parade happens in a certain certain area in the city and that he thinks that the site for him should be right on that parade, uh, parade route. I said, sure, find out a place. Uh, when we were in Dallas, he went to that place. He studied that place. Uh, then he um, uh, presented it as this is the the ideal site uh, that I wanna I wanna design. I said that's fine because it's it's based on the kind of project that he wanted to do, and the site should go with that project. Mm -hmm. Another another question I have is when you're picking these out, do you think it's important to have an aspect of that project that the student has like a um, an ability to sort of pick it. So like with each of the museum projects, or the, the museum project, um, we each had the ability to pick what that subculture was. And that's a, that's a substantial part of the, what the design is. Yes. But I mean, so do you think that it's important that each project has some kind of major element like that? I think so. Because the, the way, Again, the way that I think about the project is that the or, or, or the or the learning in the architecture trying to do a design uh, design project is to to find out um, what is the possibility of architecture to create a certain kind of an experience, hmm. right? The kind of what is the soul of the project? How to to deeply thinking about the potential of architecture in that way. Anybody can design a very utilitarian building that can be constructed within budget and whatnot. But the aspect of the architecture is to go beyond that mere building to think about what is that 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 soul, the quality that we can create in the built environment. Right? So in order to explore that, the project needs to have some kind of an 
issue to tackle hmm. right even if your project is let's say a, a design a library that you need to you need to the student need to to figure it out what is the way that i see a an incredible uh, design issue within this within this seemingly uh, mundane project uh, so because of that rather than simply giving a project i always try to think of the project what kind of project would allow students to start deeply questioning the potential of architecture the potential of designing potential of creating an a soul to a building and then how to how to how to create an ambience and an experience of that soul when people go into that that building uh so i would suggest that uh, if the project if if your project given to you uh, does not inherently have something like that see whether you can create something you can add something to that so so you can actually explore uh, this project or you can redefine the project in a in a different way in a much more interesting way that allows you to think about architecture in a more deep manner oh gotcha so then in following and following up with that and kind of students and their work and deciding on projects what and this might be a long answer this might be a short answer but what sets students apart other than maybe work ethic um hours talent um what else do you see that whether it be in a portfolio or a resume or how how do students set themselves apart in your world or in your mind um i think that um there are three things one is the kind of passion and the ambition that student uh, student have uh then the second i would call smart work the third i would call hard work mm-hmm. um so the when i say ambition or passion is that that student uh should have this kind of deep desire to pursue excellence in architecture that to to succeed to achieve a very high quality knowledge and also produce high quality work and and uh, and wanting to make themselves the best uh, in the profession and also at the same time they need to enjoy it also that's why i said that it's not only ambition that it has to be that passionate aspect that that you really enjoy uh pursuing excellence and and being a best uh, at your craft but then i would say that you need smart work that that you need to start thinking deeply theoretically philosophically about your work there has to be that the deep thinking rigor in your work um that that you have to have an idea about what seems to be the high quality work highly tasteful work you have to have that idea even even in a even even in a rendering or a drawing when you do that whether this is of high quality or not still need to have that understanding so cultivating that understanding is very important and also an aspect of being smart or doing smart work is knowing what to do when and how much time that you need to allocate for that what are the tools that you need to 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 do that you need to do uh, that particular task right and then ach- achieving those skill set also so i have seen students spending like enormous amount of time trying to do something because they had they have no uh, software skill to do that or they are using the wrong software to do the <laughs> do the task right mm-hmm. so so that that's that's kind of kind of foolish work right because you spend unnecessary amount of time which you could have achieved in 10 minutes right i have had students saying that oh it will take me about 8 hours to do that and then another student telling me no i it will take only 20 minutes to do that oh <laughs> right <laughs> you know what i'm talking about <laughs> so um so um so 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 those are those are aspects of doing smart work being smart about it another aspect of being smart about it is not to resist the feedback given to you even if you can do something at that moment it is important to listen to that feedback and to and to figure it out whether you could do it or not and 
it's very important for me uh, that students do not blame others for their mistakes that they their mistakes are their mistakes um uh, one of my teachers long time ago um uh, told me gave me an advice that um that um uh, a, a very good student would know what to learn from a very weak teacher mm. a bad student would not know what to learn even from a very good teacher <laughs> okay mm. so yeah. so his idea is be, become a smart student and forget about your professor's weaknesses try to see what can i learn from this person and then move on you know mm-hmm. so so th- that for me that's an aspect of being very smart so you know how to eliminate unnecessary things and focus on what actually matters for you in your education mm. and also uh, knowing when to stop and not to sweat the small stuff in your design process you know mm. um and uh, so basically knowing what is important and what is not that important and and uh, and and to where uh, that you need to focus your energy and resources on you know so being very practical about it and also managing your time knowing how to manage your time so so if a student is is smart in that way knowing how to how to do those parts then that definitely sets a student apart from a from another student who would not be thinking in that that smart way now you may have the passion and the ambition to be the best you know the smart work but if you don't put the hard work that 10000 hours you can you can teach you achieve that expertise so you you should be willing to spend the time and energy to get that that best quality output that that you that you want and also mm. uh will you should be willing to spend the time to develop the skill set necessary to achieve that also you know and sometimes you you should be willing to try out things again and again even when you fail a one time you know mm-hmm. going through several iteration to get it get it get it right right so that that what it means is that that you're committed that you persevere you have the focus and you are indefatigable in getting getting this this done so to me that the smart work makes your hard work more meaningful and fruitful mm-hmm. otherwise I, i always tell students otherwise you're lo- working like donkeys <laughs> you work hard but there's nothing to show up at the very end mm-hmm. because you didn't do the smart work part like like kind of guiding your hard work in a direction that is very meaningful and fruitful at the very end you know uh so 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 that this reminds me a book uh it's called uh, agony and ecstasy this is the the kind of bio epic novel uh, of michelangelo uh, mm-hmm. written by uh, erwin stone it was published in 1961 uh so that 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 title itself uh, kind of kind of captures the the creative process michelangelo went through creating creating his incredible work right mm-hmm. he's agonizing this is incredible hard work intensive labor intensive work to produce it but going through that agony is an ecstasy by itself and imagine trying to create a a a a more than life size sculpture of david in that mm-hmm. particular way working with the hardest material available right that is ambition and passion so you need to have that and then you should you should have you should be willing to put the hard work to produce it but you need to also have the skill set developed to do that right so so if you have never uh, read this uh, book i suggest that you read it it's pretty long reading it self was an agony and ex- ecstasy for me <laughs> yeah <laughs> you'd have to have some passion to read that yeah so what sets students apart is those who are willing to think big are uh, willing to dream big and then they have the smarts to do it and they are willing to put the hard work to to achieve that uh that objective you know mm. yeah now the thing is that 
there are there are moments in your life or in your design process that you can do all these things uh, in in a hundred percent way, right? Uh, the circumstances would not allow you to do that, but that's fine. Uh, but you, your general kind of temperament or general way of doing that would be that. Yeah, you you dream big. You you uh, you have the passion for it, uh, the ambition uh, to pursue excellence, and then you would do the smart work and you would do the hard work. You know. Yeah, that's, that's great. And then I feel in, like oh, go ahead, Aaron. I was just gonna say that I feel like um, a lot of that comes with experience, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. especially thinking about like the time management aspect of it. And, um, and knowing when to, you know, just let go of parts of the design or whatnot, a lot of that comes with experience. And then I feel like a lot of what doesn't come with experience can be supplemented by your work ethic and your drive. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the skills in software programs and just in general, the, the hard work, like you talked about, you know, hard work and experience will get you to be that kind of student that we're, we're talking about right now. Mm-hmm. Aaron knows that a lot because of all the all-nighters he's spent in studio. <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of, all those all-nighters have uh, helped me with my time management and made oh, yeah. me realize that I'm putting mm-hmm. time into, into things that I really shouldn't be. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. That, that, that actually comes through experience too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then in, in line with uh, kind of how students set themselves apart, just to touch briefly on what kind of firms have your students been able to achieve or apply for and get accepted into because of um, the way that you've helped them kind of advance in a quick pace, I guess you could say. Um, uh, some students uh, uh, are working in uh, pretty big firms in the, in the USA, like uh, Gensler and Populous and uh, HKS, uh, Perkins and Will. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, well, the, the what how students pick their uh, kind of uh, the firms that they want to work is is kind of their their personal thing, but um, but um, I have had students uh, eventually who uh, went to work in those firms. Yeah, that's great. Cool. Well, as a next thought, we just wanted, and we might not have a lot of time to touch on this, but we wanted your take on comparing schools in Sri Lanka um, in a whole nother country and then here in the U.S., both at Milwaukee and at KU and maybe even other schools that you've heard about. Mm-hmm. Um, but what what sets schools apart in two different countries from your experience um, and what's being taught um, is curriculum. I mean, curriculum has to be the same in some senses for a lot of architecture education, but how are things different in your perspective? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the architectural curriculum uh, in in Sri Lanka and, and here also uh, pretty much the same, uh, okay. the, the subject areas and things like that. But the emphasis uh, could be different. Um, uh, in 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 Sri Lanka, um, uh, there has been from the um, since since the time that I was a student and even beyond that, um, there's this this kind of the the need to develop a, a theoretical and a philosophical understanding of architecture uh, has always been there. Um, so the it's not only that you design but you you need to have you need to be a deep thinker about your design too um and also the the exploring that experiential aspect of architecture uh in through your design uh has been an important aspect and and specifically because of that uh the the the, the kind of experience in architectural project is an important aspect of the curriculum uh, over there so I remember as as uh, as a first year student, the very first week of of uh, my college life, uh, we went to a uh, dis, uh, project designed by an architect uh, in Sri Lanka, mm-hmm. uh, a really good architect in Sri Lanka. So likewise, that uh, it's not only in the first year, but in every year, uh, 
we would go and visit projects uh, designed by other architects and talking to them and, and, and experiencing and learning, learning from them. So I think this is a very important aspect in architecture. And I see that um, here you know, at KU that is seriously lacking. Uh, yes, uh, when we do study abroad projects, students go and see buildings, but other than that, we don't really explore uh, the, the architecture here and, and discuss why this particular particular work makes sense, what why this particular uh, space makes sense, think about how the systems are integrated into this, right? That kind of experiential learning is missing. Uh, that is something that I see uh, uh, in Sri Lanka. Uh, where uh, it, it is given a uh, heavy emphasis over there. Another heavy emphasis over there is the uh, the attention given to the visual representation of architecture through drawings, through renderings, and also through through models and things like that. Allocating enough time for that and and really trying to get a really good quality work uh, in that uh, in in the, in the visual representation of architecture uh, that can actually somehow capture the the kind of the deep thinking that 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 you uh, develop through that project now um, one of the problem i see over there is that um, we don't have an emphasis on the construction over there like the kind of design build studio uh, like what we have at ku here so i i i think that could be an aspect that they could integrate into the into the curriculum so, so because of that, this heavy design-build focus that we have at KU uh, is an uh, important aspect, and also the emphasis on the study abroad, um, I would say, an important aspect. But one of the things that I see, well, I would say the two of the things that I see in terms of uh, lacking is that the kind of that theoretical, philosophical underpinning, uh, kind of development of that underpinning of your project. Uh, is uh, seriously lacking. Uh, and you, you can see that when students start uh, presenting their project, they, they, they don't really engage in uh, developing or, or discussing the kind of broader uh, philosophical and theoretical uh, uh, rationale behind their project. They just jump into the project. This is my entry and whatnot, you know. Mm-hmm. And the other, other aspect I see is that the lack of emphasis on the final representation work. We all we all expect students to do that, but we don't really pay attention to uh, that. Like giving enough time, teaching that, uh, so so we are not doing that. And that's why that we we eventually have had this uh, portfolio portfolio classes uh, develop uh, because students' portfolios don't uh, look uh, look look good, you know. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. because. Because they do something for their final project, and then you just put that into 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 their portfolio without having any understanding whether these drawings are good quality drawing, whether they represent their project and their thinking in a in a in a certain way. So that this is a that's a serious serious uh, uh, aspect uh, that I see that is lacking uh, in our approach here at uh, University of Wisconsin Milwaukee. Um, I saw actually a balance of uh, theory and design in the sense that kind of emphasis in that kind of philosophical thinking behind uh, behind uh, uh, design. Um, study abroad was a major part uh, in the curriculum at that time. I, I'm assuming that it's still the case. Uh, not, not only that uh, short-term programs, but also semester-long uh, program as well as year-long study abroad programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, one aspect I didn't see at that time, so I'm not sure whether it is happening right now or not, is that uh, design build focus is, is not there. I, I remember that there were one studio, not a required studio, more like an elective studio over there uh, uh, at that time when I was teaching there. So um, so that's an uh, that might be an aspect that is lacking over there. Uh, however, there's a very interesting aspect over there uh, at University of Wisconsin Milwaukee is called um, uh, Marcus uh, Studio. Um, uh, this is where the school identify uh, uh, young and 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 uh, very talented uh, um, architects. They bring them 
into the school to teach a design studio. So mm-hmm. I remember Vinny Mas from MVRDV, our total studio over there. Uh, so likewise, they bring in different uh, really young, talented architects, up-and-coming architects uh, to teach studios. So they are given the Marcus Prize, which is $100,000 to teach a studio or a semester. Wow. Damn. Yeah. yeah so uh, I mean, I wish that we have the we have uh, studios like that here also. So students get to engage not only the students who are taking that studio, but also the entire school. Uh, get to engage with uh, uh, these uh, these kind of um, um, new thinkers in architecture. Mm. Um, Aaron Jordan, do you guys have any thoughts on the on those comments? It's just really interesting, uh, really interesting to hear, because I feel like we each, or at least at at KU, were only really surrounded by other KU students. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's so hard to know if what we're being taught is like pretty similar to what other people are being taught at other schools. And so I think it's just really interesting to hear your perspective, considering you've, you know, taught at multiple schools and, you know, attended schools in different countries. So, yep, that's super important. And then I think that can roll right into what does the future of architectural education look like, Kapila? And and it can be for KU as well and kind of what direction they may be heading at. Um, but and obviously we're seeing that it's similar in, in other countries as well. Um, but technology is moving quickly. AI is coming around. There's different construction methods happening. There's all these like architecture is all about adapting, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how, how do you see architectural education adapting, I guess you could say, or changing and where is it going? I think the, the architectural education is changing, uh, changing you know, as a kind of reaction to what is happening in the industry and the world. Um, sometimes it feels like, um, that what we are doing is some kind of Kind of piecemeal solutions. We see some kind of crisis in the in the, in our curriculum, what we teach, and when then we try to to adjust something. Um, I think the, the the thing is that it's all it's always very difficult to uh, uh, predict uh, the future of the industry necessarily, um, and. Uh, um, I was at one of these uh, technology workshop, and uh, one of the architects uh, from Populous who was presenting uh, their workflow and what kind of software they use. Uh, they were saying that the architects, the, the field of architecture is usually behind, somewhat behind in terms of adapting to technology and creating our own kind of technology. Uh, it's it almost more like that. We are adapting the technology others created for other purposes uh, for for us. So we are not really generating anything. We are just borrowing things from 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 others. Uh, one aspect that I see in 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 the in in the architectural profession is that that historically architects were the the specialist in all aspect of the 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 building industry. So all these different aspect that we did are actually being turned into specializations um, that others specialized in you know now if you if you if you think about uh, if you think think about kind of the facade design right it, it was historically a, a more like oh we design an elevation we pick a material and whatnot now they are specialized things Specialized mm-hmm. fields, specialized uh, companies that actually manufacture those facades. Mm-hmm. Well, they work with us as with architects, um, but those are now not happening in architectural firms, right? They are more like kind of outsourced. So in in certain ways, and in another ways, the architectural profession is also specialized uh, specializing because of the industry need or the market needs that. That we specialize in healthcare, or we specialize in sports, or uh, things like. That. So we are we are in some way some way narrowing our our focus, and at the same time, uh, narrowing our focus to specific building types. 
But at the same time, certain aspects of the overall architectural practice are now taken over by other, uh, other industries or other professionals that, that emerges out of the, out of the building industry. Mm. So how do we adapt to that is, uh, I'm not really sure um, how, the, how the profession keeps changing in that way. I'm also not sure what, what would be the final outcome is. It's it's um, it would be fun to uh, predict the future, but I'm not sure whether that that would be uh, that would be realistic and 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 predicting some kind of a future in an armchair fashion and trying to trying to lead a school and, and an education in that direction yeah. uh, might not be uh, fruitful. It could go completely wrong. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it can go completely wrong. Yes. And at this time in our world, anything can happen. <laughs> yes, as we've learned. <laughs> as we have learned. So in so in some way, uh, being slightly behind would be fine. But as soon as uh, if you have the ability to adapt fast. Yep. Be reactionary. Very yep. quickly reactionary. It's somewhat, somewhat, somewhat reactionary. Yes, exactly. The best <laughs> advice you can give to a, an emerging architecture student or a wannabe <laughs> architecture student. But, but it, it, I think it would be very, very important not only for architecture students but also for schools to kind of always think in what is happening in the profession. Yeah. How the profession is changing, uh, so you could adapt quickly. Uh, if yeah. you can't predict hundred percent accurately what will happen. Now the now for example the the robotic construction right uh, the kind of digital fabrication it's happening uh, has started to happen so it, it probably needs to be a part of the architectural education in in some way uh, in the architecture schools uh, it might be an aspect uh, that we could do very quickly in, in within the U.S. context but it's in other countries it may not happen that fast right so. So keep an eye on how the industry uh, develops and certain new technologies and ideas uh, and ways of constructing, ways of designing emerge and adapting and, and seeing how that could be in integrated into the, to the education uh, is very important. So, so basically what I'm trying to say is that for students, the learning never ends. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's important too, as a student, um, to keep, like you said, keep up to date with what's happening, and that can happen by even going to Arch Daily and just reading up on the latest news, um, or subscribing to Architectural Record or any in, anything along those lines to keep yourself immersed into the new technologies, new design methods, anything and everything. Um, just keep yourself immersed, like Kapila pounded on. Yeah, yes, thing. exactly. That 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 idea that I mentioned that the being like getting immersed in that professional culture is an important aspect of anybody's education. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and what, what I was just going to say is that um, school is also a great time to like experiment and play with new ideas and and um, like for me personally, I just got a virtual reality headset this summer. And so I really want to play around with that. And I mean, virtual reality is already used in in firms to an extent, but I think that it's something that we're going to see an increase in, uh, mm -hmm. probably. And so school's a great time to really start to just play around with those technologies because firms are going to be looking for people who know those, know how to use those technologies and are bringing new ideas. So while while yes, a lot of the field is very reactionary. Don't let that stop you from still seeking to innovate exactly. and, and push exactly. new ideas. So, Cool. Well, Kapila, once again, thank you so much for doing this. We mm -hmm. definitely, I learned a lot more about you um, and about architectural education. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's good for anybody that's going to listen to this to just, there's a lot of things to keep in mind, um, but also to keep remembering and to keep honing in on your skills and methods and ways of thinking and how 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 we can see how what professors do for us and what we can do to help professors as well 
Um, I think that's pretty important. Um, but this will conclude part two of our two-part series with Capila Silva. Um, and just thank you once again. We definitely learned a lot. Find us on Instagram at allnighterpod and email us at allnighterpod at gmail.com with any questions or comments. We would really appreciate it. But thanks for listening, and that's a wrap. Thank you.